Uh, can I just say up front what a joy it was to witness that baptism. I know that for years, Penny, as a grandmother, has just said, this is my responsibility, to, to pass my faith along. And it's been uh, heavy on her heart and high on her priority list. And for all of us that are grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles, older brothers and sisters, all of that, to um, just have that commitment that God has put me in a place to influence the life of another person and then to put my life into play. And, um, you know, if you know Penny, you know this has been an incredibly difficult year for her. And the, the kind of stuff that you say, God, why in the world are you letting this stuff happen? And just to me, just how beautiful that out of her commitment um, to God to wrestle through that and say, I don't understand the why. I don't have an answer. But I am committed, I mean, all the more <laughs> to making sure that this next generation knows you and has a relationship with you. It's disciples making disciples in its best form, right? Just appreciate that. Penny, we're proud of you for that. Um, and as a church, so maybe we got to emails last night. Uh, we know that Becky Perry, our children's minister, has been diagnosed with COVID and um, it just continues to call us to be flexible, right? To making the best choice, to pray for our leaders, for wisdom, for choices that need to be made, for what's best for everyone. You know, there's a good balance to the song we just heard, right? If it's the stuff that drives you crazy, there's a point at which all of us have to say, okay, I'm going to have to get over this because it's not about me. It's never been about me. It needs to be about a broader scope than just each of our individual lives. So I think it's ironic that when I wrote this message earlier this week, I said, all right, let's start with this um, relevant question that I want you to answer, all right? And it goes like this, like, when my life, the way I want to live it, is interrupted, okay, well, let's just stop there, right? I mean, that's, that's relevant, um, that is um, the question. Anyone's life been interrupted lately? Okay. Anyone's life seem like it's just an ongoing interruption of my plans and, and those type of things? Uh, um, experiencing chaos, irregularity, uh, change, crisis sometimes, or just frustration. Okay. Now here's the question. You see it on the screen. When my life, the way I want to live it, is interrupted, I respond by, now you fill in the blank to that question. Okay? Now, I could fill in the blank for some of you. Like I've watched you respond to the interruptions, and some of you actually is just a beautiful picture of flowing with whatever life brings in a way that honors God. Okay? And, and some of you... Um, well, maybe not so attractive, <laughs> especially in, our, in light of our goal that we've talked through this series about Paul's encouragement to the Philippians, that they would conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay? But this is the stuff God uses, right? These are the things that challenge us and shape us and call us to live at a higher level than just what I want or what is best for me. Turn to Philippians 1 with me in your Bible, your Bible app, maybe that Bible in front of you in the chair. Now, 
you may or may not have heard what you wanted to hear or what you expected to hear in a series that we entitled Politically Incorrect. last year, but they happen nonetheless. And Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then when I come, or whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for faith of the gospel. Now, these next couple of verses in Philippians chapter 2 are, are sometimes very, um, very argued. Okay? They're debated. They are um, tough in some ways because there's a balance in them. So let me introduce you to the dynamic duo okay, of willing and able. Okay? These two pieces that Paul's going to talk about here in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. He says, therefore, again, using that word, therefore, in light of them conducting themselves worthy in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In light of, as we talked about the last two weeks, the humbling death and subsequent exaltation that God provided to Jesus, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. A little four-year-old boy uh, went with his mother to visit one of her friends, and her, um, her friend was extremely pregnant and she noticed this four-year-old boy just kind of staring at her belly. And she said, do you want to touch my baby? you want to feel the belly kick? And, and he did, and his eyes kind of lit up. And he says, how does that baby get out of there? Well, the mother wanted to um, make it simple. She said, well, the doctor will help. And his eyes got huge. He said, you've got a doctor in there too? <laughs> Listen, every one of us that are followers of Jesus, we have an inside helper, right? The Holy Spirit. And throughout the scriptures, we read that he assists us, enables us, empowers us to do good works. Salvation, it starts when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. But it doesn't end there. True salvation makes a difference. Paul's going to tell us, and how we live our lives. Now, that word in verse 12, where he says work out, that word work out means to, to carry through with something. It means to live our lives in light of the salvation that we have until our life is complete. Continue to work out, he says. Salvation is not a one-time past 
event. Continuing to work out our salvation, it doesn't mean that our, that our salvation is accomplished through our works, that we're saved somehow because of our good deeds, through our own righteousness. Now, we just went through communion, right? And every time we go through communion, I am reminded that my own righteousness would never get me there. It had to be through the death of Jesus. But it does remind us that our salvation should continue to show itself in our lives as we work on our commitment to God, as we live out our commitment to God. Continue to work out your salvation. Now that word again, the background, in the first century it was used um, for those who were mining silver. Right, The workers would go into the mine and they would bring out the silver that was already there. It's not like they carried silver down into the mine and then carried it back out, right? They would go in and they would bring to the surface what was already there so that it could be used and enjoyed by other people. And in the same way, think about God placing His Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay? And our responsibility is to bring the Holy Spirit to the surface of our lives for others to see. And so it might be appropriate to say, when my life, like the way I want to live it, is interrupted, I respond by letting others see God's Spirit in me and see God's Spirit through me. Now, I think these verses and so many others in the Scriptures, in the New Testament especially, remind us that we are not totally passive in our salvation, right? Yes, the work of Jesus on the cross is critical. Okay? We couldn't have the salvation discussion without the cross. But we have to make choices to embrace the cross. And we have to make choices to let God transform and change our lives and then live accordingly. Remember, we talk about a disciple who's one whose life is changed by Jesus or one whose life is transformed by Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. Okay? And there's some pressure with that, right? There's some pressure to live a life that honors God and pleases God and reflects His holiness. And just when it starts to get a bit um, tense or nervous about, I'm not sure I'm capable of that. My life is such a struggle in that area. I love Paul's reminder here in chapter 2, verse 13, about how we ever accomplish this. When he says in verse 13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Okay? God calls us to this, but then God empowers us to this. It, it has to be connected with the previous verse. They're just one sentence in the original language. It's not two different ideas. So we have this play on words. In one sense, he says, work out your salvation. And that also says that, that God is at work in your life. Well, what is he working to produce? Again, you look at the verse. First of all, he's working to produce our will. That is our purpose, our drive, our determination, right? And second, he's working to produce action. God is producing us in us a desire and a determination to do something, right? And that something, Paul says, is God's good 
purpose. So that dynamic duo, God gives us the will, and he also gives us the ability to do, right? to fulfill, to obey what it is that God acts, asks of each of us. God says, embrace me and live your lives in a way that won't be possible without me, but you're not without me. You have me at work in you. And then as we go along in the text, I want, I want to, especially in light of this politically incorrect series, this last message in the series, I want us to take special note to what it is that God makes us willing and able to do. Okay? And that is to live without contention. Think about Paul's words in light of our current culture as we begin in verse 14. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. Okay, now, now talk about um, out of the norm for society. Right? Politically incorrect, if you would. No grumbling, no arguing. Like These are the things that cause people to not watch the news anymore. <laughs> these are the things that make people give up their social media accounts, even if it means I forget somebody's birthday. I just can't take it any longer. Now, a follower of Jesus who would have read these words from Paul in his day, if you think about their culture, might have thought about this grumbling or this arguing, maybe in light of the Old Testament. Or maybe in light of the life and times of Jesus, that would have been their setting. So when we hear grumbling, okay, imagine that a first century Jewish person might think about the children of Israel and their grumbling against God in the wilderness, right? Now to grumble against God is to question his power, is to question his care for us. And so when you think about the grumbling in your life or in my life, take a step back. Now, how did grumbling work out for the Israelites? <laughs> okay. And how's it working out for you? Will Bowen tries to describe or illustrate um, this idea of grumbling. He says complaining or grumbling, he says it's like bad breath. He said, you notice it when it comes out of somebody else, but not necessarily out of yourself. Okay? Unless you've had to wear a mask for nine months. Then you recognize it in yourself as well. <laughs> Complaining, grumbling. It's, it's this selfish mindset that somehow declares, I am not getting what I want, and I'm not getting what I deserve and I'm not getting my rights. But isn't it actually just this complaining against God's sovereignty? Are we not really saying, God, you're not being good to me by letting this happen. As we work out our salvation, Paul says, and reminds us, there's no place for grumbling in our lives if we want to accomplish his purposes that he's going to lay out for us later in these verses. Now, maybe when they heard the word arguing in the first century, 
Maybe their thought went back to the Pharisees in Jesus' day who just sat and observed with their arms crossed and a scowl on their face and just seemed to question everything that Jesus said and that Jesus did. And we understand that to argue with God is to question his wisdom and to question his sovereignty. Now it's okay to question why God did something or why God allowed something through the lens of faith. Okay? It's a normal occurrence in the Bible. And I'm not asking you to shut off your mind. I'm not asking you to quit thinking about life. It's just impossible to do. Why do good things happen to bad people? And more closer to home, it seems like, why do bad things happen to good people, especially the people that I love? That is a wrestling that is part of life. Okay? But to question God through accusation, to question his wisdom and his sovereignty and his goodness, well, that's a whole different matter. Okay? Now, I would venture a guess that grumbling um, and arguing would have been very politically correct in the times of these hearers, like it seems to be in our times as well. Meaning it's reflective of majority of the people. The majority of the people in our day and time are grumbling. They are complaining and they are arguing. But neither was honoring nor is honoring to God. Nor is it going to be, I believe, blessed by God, just like today. Note that both grumbling and arguing in these settings were both ultimately disciplined by God, not honored by Him, not somehow stamped with approval by God. Instead, Paul's about to give them some biblically correct but politically incorrect challenges, beginning with this. Number one, disengage from combat. Let's remember that from what we read in the first part of Philippians chapter 2, this, these words were written to a church that was struggling with unity. Remember the first message in this series was about unity? And in the first couple of verses of Philippians 2, Paul wrote these words, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and one in mind. John Wesley was a, um, a great English preacher in the 1700s, and it, it was said he had kind of this flair for dressing kind of fancy. So one Sunday after he preached a message, as people were gathered afterwards, um, a woman came and, and, and said, are, are you open to some criticism?" Well, that's a loaded question. And Wesley says, sure. She said, well, for a man of God to wear a bow tie with, with tails on it is, is absolutely unbecoming. And she took a pair of scissors and she cut the ties off his tie or the, the tails off his tie. So everyone kind of gets quiet and watches him and says, um, and he says to her, well, ma'am, can I have your scissors? 
she gave him the scissors and he said, are you open to some criticism? <laughs> and he said, well, I suppose. He said, then why don't you stick out your tongue? <laughs> oh, how we'd like to do that to people, wouldn't we, sometimes in the day and say, oh, could we just stop it? Listen, in this same letter, Philippians in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul is going to plead with two women in the church who are at odds with each other. He says in verse 2 of Philippians chapter 4, that, that work out your problem. Come together in unity, he says. Now I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Listen, it is problematic when we represent God to the world in a combative and argumentative way. And I would venture to say that most of us have been guilty of that over the last eight months in one form or another. But the scriptures tell us that is not honoring to God. Okay? If you don't hear anything else today, listen to these words. Okay? Like it is, it is downright ugly when we argue with one another. While watching world observes and makes the determination that we're no different than anyone else and that there is no real transformation that comes with following Jesus. We cannot effectively proclaim the gospel if we can't even get along with one another. Paul would say, I believe. And the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Now, Paul give us, gives us a signal, significant challenge here in Philippians chapter 2. If you read on, he, he challenges us as believers, as Christians, as children of God. He, he calls us to be blameless meaning someone no one can find fault with. He challenges us to be pure, meaning inwardly holy. And he challenges us to be without fault. Now that is the word used of a sacrifice in the Old Testament where it said that sacrifice was to be without blemish. Okay? Now that's what God calls us to be with the Holy Spirit living in and through us. But we're to do it, he said, in the middle of a warped and crooked generation. Now that reads, you understand that, right? We live in a world that has come to call good evil and to call evil good, to refer to truth as a myth, to sin as freedom. No wonder they're combatant arguers. No wonder they're consistent complainers. Like, I want to stand out as different than that. Don't you? And isn't God calling us to be different than that? When we can disengage from our frivolous debates, when we can distance ourselves from whatever the changing hot topic of the moment or the day happens to be, when we can instead focus our lives on loving God and on loving people where they're at. Paul says that instead of fitting in with this world, that we are going to begin to radiate God's light. 
Okay, look with me at verse 15. He says, then, when you leave all this stuff behind, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Listen, the darker the night, the brighter the light. This world has become increasingly dark, which gives us opportunity to live increasingly bright as the light of God shines through us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Drop down in verse 16, he said, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Like, do we think that our grumbling and our complaining and our arguing fit into that picture that Jesus painted for us. They don't. So instead of holding so firmly to your political views, instead of holding so firmly to your social ideologies, instead of holding so firmly to your pandemic theories, let's instead, as Paul says in verse 15, Hold firmly to the word of God, the word of light, and radiate God's light to a dark world. Think about the, the Olympic runners who run with the torch. Like, they don't just, like, hold it here as they run, do they? I mean, they're holding it up, and they're holding it out, and they're holding it proud. And, and that's the picture, I think, that, that Paul's giving us here. Embrace God, embrace His Word, embrace His way, and hold it up for the world to see. A man once told C.S. Lewis, he said, I would love to be an atheist, and I would be an atheist if it wasn't for Mrs. Williams. <laughs> Apparently, the man saw the way she lived, the way she reacted to situations, and his conclusion was, there must be a God because I see evidence for God in the life of of Mrs. Williams. Now listen, what are people seeing when they see your life? And what are they seeing when they see the people of Troy Christian Church? Do we shine like stars in the sky? If we do, we will be fulfilling that commission that God has given us to go and to make disciples. If we don't, our opportunity and our chance of actually making disciples is very, very small. Phil Cook and Jonathan Bach wrote a book called The Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility and How We Get It Back. And in it, they ask a couple of significant questions. They said, why did the early church succeed where we are failing. And they asked, how did they transform the Western world in such a relatively short period of time? And they answer it. They did it because they did things that baffled the Romans. The early church didn't picket 
they didn't boycott and they didn't gripe about what was going on in their culture. They just did things that astonished the Romans. They took in their discarded and abandoned babies is what they did. They helped their sick and their wounded. That's what they did. They restored dignity to slaves. They were willing to die for what they believed. And after a while, their actions so softened the hearts of the Romans that they wanted to know more about these Christians. And they wanted to know more about the God they represented. The gospel. That's what changed lives. And that's what can still change lives today. Listen, we are disciples first. We are followers of Jesus first. Then we are members of our society. We seek to live biblically correct, meaning the way God calls us to live and influence society in that way. So let's get busy with following Jesus. Let's get busy with letting him transform and change our lives and making sure that our lives are accomplishing his mission. Let's pray together. Lord, we trust that these words of Philippians that you have unfolded for us in this series, Lord, that they have been penetrating, um, convicting, and encouraging all at once. Even this scripture, Father, that reminds us you have called us to such a higher purpose and that you want us to put our lives into play for your kingdom, not just for our good, not just for our families, not even just for our church, but for you and for your kingdom and reminding us that that is possible because you are at work in us. So Lord, help us to shine like stars. Help us to avoid this grumbling and arguing. Help us to let your light shine through us, we pray.